morning. It's my joy to welcome you as we begin to gather in as God's people this day. We are glad for your presence with us, and we give God thanks for this wonderful day to celebrate his love and his goodness here among us. Welcome to Central Baptist Church. We have friendship heads. We use those as a way of getting to know each other, as well as information cards in the pew rack. So please take advantage of those and let us know about you because we love to know who you are. Well, yesterday I received a text message from Mississippi. Put the pieces together, stay with me here. I have a niece that lives in Mississippi. This was about mm, 4.30, 4.45. She felt a need to text me. And then this morning, Jamie Wallace said, I got a text from you during the game yesterday. And I realized that the person, my niece, who was formerly named Jamie Johnson, married a Wallace whose name is Jamie Wallace. And so the text that I had meant for her actually went to Jamie here. And so I texted my niece, Jamie Wallace, this morning to say, sorry, I wasn't snubbing you, but a church member got your message. And she said, oh, I hope you didn't say anything inappropriate. So we're ordaining Jamie next week as deacon, so if I did, it's all within that pastor-deacon confidentiality <laughs> situation. Uh, if you need to know, find out this week before he and Dara Feltz are ordained. But we celebrate a God who doesn't get those messages crossed up. God can use all messages, even messages meant for someone else, but God is one who knows us by name and loves us distinctly out of our own special individuality. That God knows where you're hurting, that God knows where you need help, that God knows exactly what you need today. And it is my prayer that you will receive a message, a message of hope, a message of forgiveness, a message of restoration, a message of renewal, that the Lord is here to meet us and we are receiving these messages meant specifically for us by name. So may you know of the goodness and grace of God as we gather today as God's people.
May we stand for the call to worship. People of God, open your eyes. People of God, open your ears. Let us hear God's voice of compassion calling to us this day. People of God, open your mouths. Let us see words of gentleness and grace to one another. People of God, open your hearts. Let us worship God who teaches us true empathy and renewing life. <laughs> May we bow in prayer. O oh God, we gather today to hear and heed your holy word. Hear our prayers and teach us how to seek the truth and to always follow your example. Help us to see all the beauty in the world that we so often ignore. Help us to keep our hearts pure and undivided by filling our lives with your love. Let our life words and actions bring joy and happiness of the Lord to each of us throughout this coming week. We offer this service and today in thanks for all the blessings you have bestowed upon us. Amen. Now let us pass the peace of Christ.
probably should have asked if it's okay to pray with a harmonica. I don't know. Well, we can we can vote on that later. Um, uh, but this morning, our, uh, our our time of prayer together, we're gonna we're gonna pray in song, and I'll uh, I'll sing a little. I ask you to sing a little with me, and then I'll play a little, and we'll pray a little um, together as we uh, uh, invite uh, the Spirit of God to uh, flow through us. Um, as we uh, we take an opportunity to sometimes in the busyness of the week, we just need to come and just take a deep breath and just center ourselves again and just be in this place and remember where we are. We are here uh, with the family of God. Uh, we are here uh, in God's presence, welcomed into this place, just as we are, all of us, uh, our whole selves um, into this place. And there is a, is a beauty and a wonder in that, that God invites us into this place and then um, would invite us into this beautiful journey uh, to walk with God, uh, to find love and hope and peace. And so um, one of the other things that you might choose to do at this time is you'll find some bowls up to the front with some basins with water, um, and there's some beads beside that if you'd like to use this time to come forward and to put one of those beads in the water and let that symbolize your prayer to God. You can do that too. You may want to wait and do that later during uh, our offertory or offertory song as well. Um, but you can let that be part of your response and your prayer to God this morning if you'd like to do that. So here's the song we're going to sing. We'll just sing uh, the chorus together. It goes like this. Thank you. 
to that old refrain where the waves of wisdom hum their holy strains lift me into the current set me free to join the chorus of love's good theme flow through me stand if you are able and join me in following along with the gospel lesson. It comes from Luke 16, 1 through 13. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a, ma a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager, manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and make it 50. Then he asked another, and how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.
Let's pray together, please. Dear God, thank you for that place that's close, that place where we can release fully who we are, what we're struggling with, what we don't like, what we do like, where we can be honest, the one relationship where we can be truly and completely and fully honest. And we thank you, God, that you provide that place for us of that comfort and that safety as we prepare ourselves every day to reach out, to touch, to give, to offer hope, to offer love, to do the things that you would have us to do in this world because we know that you have that safe place for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Today we continue our walk with Jeremiah today, reading from the end of the 8th chapter, beginning in the 18th verse, through the first verse of chapter 9. Hear now these words. My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick. Hark, the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician here? 
Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. For the word of God that works its way into us.
think of your worst day or week or year and then multiply it by a thousand or ten thousand. That's where we begin with womanist theologian Elaine Brown Crawford. She speaks of the unique, profound, horrible, sickening, and deplorable depths of pain and oppression endured by African-American women throughout American history. Throughout three different and distinct eras, they have faced hardship of disproportionate and severe amounts of suffering. In slavery, their bodies, their children, their home, their livelihoods, their families, their husbands, even their own nighttime was not their own. In the struggles through emancipation, they endured a servitude not much better than slavery. And today, they still face injustice, inequity, crime, abuses from men, both black and white, up against limited opportunities for their own education, health care, or economic prosperity. Women who daily live in the fear of the safety of their own children, especially their own sons, who in many cities in America meet a 10 times greater likelihood of arrest, incarceration, or death than their white counterparts. And in spite of all of this, the ugly stigma of racism is still on the rise in our land. Brown Crawford writes, African-American women have lived in the echoes of their own holler. The holler is the primal cry of pain, abuse, violence, and separation. It's a soul-piercing shrill of African ancestors that demands the recognition and appreciation of their humanity. The holler is refusal to be silenced in a world that denied their very existence as women. The holler is the renunciation of racialized and genderized violence perpetrated against them from generation to generation. The holler is a cry to God, come see about me, one of your children. Brown's book, published in 2002, chronicles the first-hand accounts of African-American slaves who were women, like Maddie Jackson, or Maria Stewart, or Sojourner Truth, or Harriet Jacobs, who writes in her own memoir, Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, written by herself, the slave girl is reared in an atmosphere of licentiousness and fear. It needs an abler pen than mine to describe the extremity of their suffering, the depths of their degradation. This pen may have been picked up by Mary Price, also a slave who speaks to the beatings from her mistress jealous of her youth and her beauty, 
that taught her, I quote, to know the exact difference between the smart of the rope, the cart whip, and the cow skin when applied to my naked body by her own cruel hand. Yet somehow, these African-American women continue to endure, survive, and transform their oppressive existence. And before we examine how they, in part, are able to do so, let's return back to our look of Jeremiah, remembering his ministry in the late 7th and early 6th century BCE. For 20 years, Jeremiah has been warning his community of internal corruption and the pending catastrophic disaster soon to come, pleading for repentance and renewal, but they would not listen. And now the calamity he feared for so long has come to pass as we encounter him sitting in the ashes of a besieged and decimated Jerusalem with no consolation available to him except his own tears, forever to be known as the weeping prophet. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt, I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes the fountain of tears so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. He cries out in desperation. But does he cry out in solitude? Are these only his words? Or do they echo the words of another? According to the biblical scholars, there's some ambiguity pointing to what they call divine speech markers. We find them in the English versions, verse 17, chapter 8, verse 3, chapter 9. And also, it's one of those places in our Bibles where the heading categories that lead into each section are probably not very helpful, for they skew how we might read what follows. For these scholars suggest that the cries that are being voiced by Jeremiah are not his alone, but perhaps are also the very same words and laments offered by none other than God Almighty. Talking about my people. Talking about our people. Revealing the, the tears of the divine. A sorrow as great and as deep as Jeremiah's own lament. Through this lens... God is not merely angry with God's people, desiring to cause their destruction. As much as God is disappointed and hurt by God's own people and joins in with the prophet's sadness and now their terrible and desperate state of affairs. This is the God Jeremiah begins to reveal. The God, slave women and other oppressed people have called the Lord. The God who is deeply disturbed 
and emotionally engaged with our suffering and all the other great distresses throughout the whole world. Jeremiah and the other Hebrew prophets have revealed to us a picture of God to be like a jilted lover, hurt and dismayed by the unfaithfulness of those God had meant to shower with blessings and love, but who instead over time have rejected God, have shaken their fist at the heavens, have cursed God's divine name, living their lives as if God didn't exist at all and there was no presence of God's love within the world. Time after time, God offers warnings and invitations of salvation only to have those spurned until the disaster is so great. God's only recourse is to sit down to cry with the victims and the victimizers. Everyone here knows it takes great courage to be compassionate, to sit peaceably upon the uncomfortable bend of a question mark, to enter into the raw space of deep grief and great pain, to not have ready a bag of easy answers, to not try to fix something really meant this technique as a way to make ourselves feel better, and then to allow our neighbors without a lot of words to suffer that suffering that is uniquely their own. But isn't this exactly the great insight we can identify in the life and ministry of Jesus's? The revealed word of God in human flesh? The divine picture of what God would look like if God was walking here truly as one of us. Jesus, who suffered in every way we have suffered, and really, for those of us in this room, has suffered in even greater ways than our own. The Jesus who knew about abandonment, rejection, condemnation, abuses, the Jesus whose body felt the sting of the whip and the suffering of death. This Jesus we find upon the cross in physical agony, still promising reconciliation, forgiveness, and renewal. Isn't that the great Christian revelation and revolution? God does not punish us, but in Christ has taken on the stripes of our suffering. That his death, meant by evil persons for unequal gain, was still used by God as a statement of God's great redeeming love. What those slave women perhaps are telling us, thanks to the research of Brown Crawford, is something so deeply important and significant. It's stated in the title of her book that I have not yet revealed, but I will now. For her book, 2002, is called Hope 
in the harlot. Hope. Hope that is defined not as something that's just way out there, over yonder, in that great by and by when Jesus is finally going to make everything all right. But hope in the immediate and desperate situation. Hope that we are not forgotten. Hope that we are not abandoned. Hope that we don't suffer alone. Hope that God is suffering with us. We all need to know the depths of this love, how God is with us and for us, not despite our distress, but especially in the midst of our distress. The hopeful words of Jeremiah come forward in chapter 31, when God's presence will live in us, when the covenant will be carried within our hearts and we will seek to treat our neighbors with fairness, equity, compassion, and love. Why? Because hearts that have been broken by suffering can feel the divine tears running through them, filling up the cracks and the crevices left behind with an abundant spring of mercy and love. Eddie Hillisum, 1914 to 1943, a young Jewish Dutch woman who died in Auschwitz, truly believed her suffering was also the suffering of God. I am not alone in my tiredness or sickness or fears, but at one with millions of others from many centuries, and it is all part of life. Our collective question, one that I have seen answered in the affirmative over and over and over by you, the people of Central Baptist Church, is do we have the courage to join in to the community of the suffering? To remember how our frustrations and pains puts us in good company of all the others, broken, humble, and hurting humanity. Often when you're willing to put yourself right next to the person in need, you don't need to say anything. You don't have any magic words to make the hurt go away because really that's impossible. You don't have to be all wise or insightful or incredibly articulate. Your simple attendance is sufficient. Your mere presence speaks louder than any other words you might say. In the early service this morning, after sharing this sermon, one of our church members who was attending that service told me this story in her own life that happened not too long ago. She's a supervisor of a large medical facility here in Lexington with many employees. And one morning she came to work and was told by another person, you need to go see so-and-so an employee and take her home. We just got word that her husband has died. She found the employee. She sorrowfully 
delayed the, the terrible news. And then she took her home. She said, I spent the rest of that day sitting on her couch. As she sat next to me with her head on my shoulder, crying through the hours. I didn't have anything to say. I didn't need to say anything at all. I was just there with her when this wash of grief became a tidal wave. Jeremiah sits in the ashes crying out with compassion and invites all of us to share this difficult assignment that we would sit with those who grieve and commingle our tears with theirs that we would have the courage and the compassion through God's own suffering presence revealed in the image of God's own Son to join with us and to recognize, indeed, there is hope. There is hope in the Harlem. I know our hymn today is as much lament as it is response, but in that lament there is response, our response, that we would not be content with cold or callous hearts, that we would let the suffering showers of life to wash over us and allow our own lives to be more supple, to be more humble, to be more usable, to be more tender, to be more kind. And so I ask this day, as we sing this song, we allow the tears from of old of the prophet Jeremiah to be joined with our own sadness for the world and to know even in our struggle, God is with us still. May you sing this song with that prayer on your lips and on your hearts as we stand to sing hymn 169. <laughs>
So I hope you're in the practice of looking ahead at the lectionary readings. It might inform you that some days you may need to come to church with a crass helmet and a seatbelt. That the lectionary was not kind to us in terms of its reading, but accurate to our own stress and our own condition of worry. May you know that it is a difficult world where a lot of terrible things have happened and continue to happen. But you are not alone. You are the people of God, and as you prayed, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit goes with you to give you strength and endurance and survival. And that you can be people of hope, not waiting for it to happen in some distant rescue. But in today, that is sufficient for our need. The life of our church, I would remind you of just a few things. We've done a lot better uh, with the crop hunger walk. I think it's close to 700. Our goal was 500 raised, uh, five walkers. Uh, we've maybe made it up uh, on the top you know, 30 churches to in the top 10. Uh, of course, I'm not satisfied with that. We could be in the you know, top three or four if you wanted to continue to give your support for this hunger drive. Um, and also to walk next Sunday afternoon. Also this Wednesday, I invite you to our Wednesday night sharing time. I will be talking about the sabbatical I had in Ireland and would love for you to be a part of that. Come and let us know you're coming to eat beforehand. That's about 5.30, 5.40, um, and then we'll have the program, uh, I believe it's 6.30. Making sure I don't have any of that wrong. Okay. Any other announcements before we go? Bound after the benediction. May the God of mercy receive your tears. May the God of comfort be present in your troubles. May the God of strength help you endure tribulations. May the God of power fill you with hope sufficient for this day and preparing for that day when all on heaven and on earth has been made new. Through the glory of God, the presence of Jesus' the Son, and the empowering sending of the Holy Spirit. Amen.